everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Happy Valentine's Day. Like Jeff said, I'm John, a member of the ministry team here at the Transit. And just thank everyone for coming out this morning to, to worship with us and hopefully uh, bring you a word of, of blessing here from the scripture. Now, it is Valentine's Day. We should probably be preaching out of like 1 Corinthians 13 or something like that. Uh, but we're here. We're at the end of the Gospel of John. Uh, it's been a year, I think, and a little bit of change that we've been in the Gospel of John. So it's a, a privilege and, and a little bit of pressure to be the, to be the anchor man, to use a track term, uh, to, bring, to bring this thing home. So as we get started, I just ask for you briefly, just uh, bow with me in a moment of prayer. God, thank you that we could be here today. Thank you that we can fellowship together, Lord. Thank you that we can enjoy your word. Lord, thank you that you revealed yourself to us. That in the midst of our hopelessness, you brought hope, Lord God, uh, by revealing your glory to us. So, Father, may your glory shine today as we uh, look at your word together. And may there be a word and a blessing for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So, for me, uh, day-to-day life is, is very interesting. You know, I've been, I've been very blessed. I really... Uh, couldn't ask for more from God. But also, I, I struggle daily with, with feelings of, of inferiority and, and wondering if I, if I measure up in God's eyes. I wonder where I'm at. What does, what does God think of me? I know that I have to deal with the fact that my thoughts, my actions, and, and even my character at times fall short of what I know to be God's glory. And I can almost guarantee that, that each one of you at, at some point in time feels, uh, feels the same way or something very similar. Uh, you know that you fall short of God's glory. We all know that. We all know we fall short of God's glory. And as a result, uh, you wonder if, if the bad things in your life are, are due to decisions that you've made, uh, if it's some kind of punishment. You wonder if you're part of the problem in Christianity. And, and some of you may even wonder if you're truly saved just based on some of the things that, that you think or that you might do. What we have to realize is, frankly, that we're not worthy. We, we are not worthy, we don't measure up, and we deserve the very punishment which, which we fear. The very things that we wonder if our actions cause these things, uh, if that were the case, we would deserve it. However, praise be to God that his love delivers us from that, delivers us from that, from that hopelessness, delivers us from that unworthiness. This last chapter of John illustrates that very well, illustrates God's unending love, his unending mercy, and his desire to reconcile, reconcile and restore humankind to himself. And we'll get to see that, that, that thing, which is a staple of God's love. And in the face of our unworthiness, God's message that we'll see today is the same message to Peter, is the same message to us, and that is, follow me. In the midst of everything we've got on, God simply says, follow me. Now, I'm going to lead us through this last chapter. You know, it's a a whole chapter, a whole chapter of the Bible. Um, And it's basically divided into three major parts, and we'll we'll look at all three major parts, but I'm really going to concentrate on the second section. But uh, we'll, we'll start here, and we'll, we'll go down in order, um, and hopefully we'll get that message. We'll see how much 
God loves us and that, that it's him that, that we're talking about today. So John chapter 21, starting in verse 1, and it's a lot, so I'll read it. You can follow along here on the screen as well. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So it's been a night out there for, no, for seemingly no reason. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were unable to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. So they had wasted the whole night. Then they have this, this big catch. So now it's obvious who's sitting there talking to him. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of your fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So interesting uh, scene here at the beginning. This is the, the third appearance that, that John records in his gospel that, that Jesus uh, appeared to the disciples after his death. And it takes place by the Sea of Tiberias after a disappointing night of fishing, although it turned into a, a good morning. Now, over the years, I've heard this preached and people say, you know, the disciples had given up. They were hopeless. They returned back to be fishermen. And maybe that's true. But the Bible doesn't say that. I'm sure that they needed something to eat. So Peter was like, I'm going to go catch some fish and we'll have something to eat in the morning. Well, we'll come with you. We're going to be hungry, too. So, you know, we want to we want to help out. They're, they're in a time of waiting. And as you read through the Gospels, there is a, a period of waiting that Jesus directed after his resurrection. So I would say, look at this as nothing else, at least at the beginning, than seven guys going fishing. Um, but they have a disappointing night. And then Jesus appears to them and provides a miraculous catch so that they can have a nice hearty meal. Now, the meal is significant because in ancient times, a meal was a sign of fellowship. Meals often took place uh, as part of the, the contracting process or as, as part of the, the family making process, these different things. So that's, that's what this, this meal is, and it's miraculous. Jesus was already cooking fish before they had to catch, 
Then they have this, this large catch, and it's, it's a setup for something that is about to follow. And we're going to look, of course, at Peter today because he's, he's somewhat the focus of this chapter. But this, this, this first action that goes on, Peter, Peter is very eager to get to Jesus. He's very eager. He, he puts his clothes back on and he, he jumps in the water when, when he realizes it's the Lord. Why was Peter so eager? We really, we really don't know, but did Peter have something that he wanted to say first? Was he trying to be the first one to get there to say, you know, Jesus, whatever comes next, you know? Was Peter making up for not being the first one to the tomb? You know, as John so, so graciously writes, you know, I outran Peter to the tomb and then I waited so that he could go in and, and check it out. So was he trying not to be, to be second this time? What I pose, though, is a little bit of a question. Peter had denied Jesus back up. Peter had said that he would die with Jesus. Then he denied Jesus. So how many of us would run to a person that we denied in that moment after making that kind of, of, a, of, a, of a proclamation and then not living up to it? Me personally, I, I don't know. I might have moved slow. I might have stayed on the boat and, in fact, moved from, from the front of the boat to the back and, and tried to be the last one there, kind of with my tail between my legs and my head down. But, but Peter goes straight to Jesus. Peter had, had certainly messed up, and he realized it, because after he denied Jesus, he, he began to weep, yet he dove in the water to get next to Jesus. It may have been Peter's plan to say something before Jesus said something to him. Peter may have been trying to go up and, and make that apology. Who, who knows? Because Jesus beat him to the punch. So we'll continue on in verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him for a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him what kind of death he was with, what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. So there it is. Follow me. After this exchange, after all that, Jesus said to him, follow me. So a few points that I want to bring out in here. The first thing, Jesus reconciles and restores Peter. He reconciles and restores Peter. He reconciles him with love. And it's appropriate that we talk about this on Valentine's Day. Jesus reconciles Peter with love. 
love in that Jesus approached Peter gently. He didn't come to scold him, and he approached him gently for Peter's own benefit. Jesus is God. He's the son of God. He, he, there's nothing that Peter could offer him that Jesus needed. But Jesus knew that Peter needed something, and he approached him gently and in a way that Peter was going to be able to receive it. He knew that he knew Peter's heart, just like Peter said, Lord, you know everything. And Jesus knew his heart and didn't see the need to, to rub the failure into, in Peter's face, to bring it back up or to even say, hey, Peter, you denied me three times. Now I'm going to restore you. He didn't he didn't go through some kind of miniature sermon. He just he just came and asked him the questions. And then there's also uh, reconciliation. So reconciliation got a, a definition here. Restoration of friendly relationships of peace where before there had been hostility and alienation. Ordinarily, it includes the removal of an offense which caused the disruption of peace and harmony. The removal of the offense. Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? To, to restore uh, peace and harmony, to, to remove that offense, which, which had been a disruption, really probably more in Peter's heart. Maybe that's why he did dive into the water. Maybe that's why he did make that approach, because he knew there was some type of barrier there. I would say that the barrier wasn't with Jesus. Jesus knew what he was there to do. He knows everything. So he was there to reconcile Peter to himself. And though Peter was grieved that he asked him three times, he knows that he's forgiven. So I don't want to dive too much into the features because there's a lot of nuance in these couple verses between 15 and 19. But just a couple of things. The first time Jesus approached him and asked him, do you love me? He said, do you love me more than these? We really don't know what Jesus is talking about. Is he saying, do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than than your profession of fishing? Possibly. He could possibly be saying that because uh, that is how a lot of those disciples had, had made their living. Do you love me enough to give this up and then go and be the disciple, the apostle, that spreader of the gospel that I'm about to call you to be? Do you love me more than you love these disciples, these these 10 men now that you're with? Do you love me more than you love these guys? That could have been the question, because we know that Jesus calls calls each of us to put him first, even before our own families. Even though it benefits our families to have Jesus first, we have to look first and primarily at him and then live the rest of our lives. So that makes sense. And then finally, Do you love me more than the other apostles love me? That's also a possibility as well. I'm I'm a little less convinced with that one uh, because it seems like it sets up a a, a competition that doesn't need to be there and that I don't think that Jesus would encourage, but that that could have been the the intent. Um, But I, I really see Jesus asking him, no matter what he's talking about, am I your number one priority? You've denied me these three times. Am I now your number one priority? Are you ready to go forward with the mantle of leadership upon which I'm about to place on your shoulders? And then one of the the next big controversies or or features is the, the two different uses 
of the two different Greek words used that are interpreted love in this passage, uh, agapeo and phileo. Now, if you read this in the New International Version, where Jesus uses agapeo, those are the first two, do you love me's, uh, they translate it, do you truly love me? Do you truly love me? Uh, so the translators in NIV, they see a difference. They see a difference in what Jesus is asking uh, versus what Peter is answering. And there, there may be some nuance there. there. There may be something there, but it doesn't seem that it necessarily has to be the case. I know that, uh, again, in the past, I've heard people preach on this passage and they make a big deal about, you know, Jesus had this divine love and Peter's responding with this, with this lesser or half love. And I'm not sure that that's really what's going on. John, the author of the gospel, he, he prefers to use agapeo in its, in its different, in its different forms. Uh, between this gospel, his three letters, and the book of Revelation, he uses agapeo 72 times. And then he uses phileo 15 times. Furthermore, in this gospel, uh, John uses phileo to describe the love that God has for Jesus. In uh, John chapter 5, we got the next verse up there right here. For the father loves, and that's phileo, the son, and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So if agape, agapeo, if that's the only divine love, then how would that be the love that the father has for the son? And another example on the other side in John chapter 3, verse uh, 19 says this, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness. And that is a form of agapeo, love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Again, if agape is the only divine love and phileo is something else, then why would the, the love of something evil be used as a divine love? So I don't, I don't see an expression of lower love. It just may be uh, as, as an author, John may be varying his words, changing his cadence and things like that. But even if there is a, a nuance there, so I'm not going to declare that there is no nuance, but even if there is, that's not truly the lesson. What we're really looking at here is that love starts with mercy. Jesus approached John with grace. He, I mean, approached Peter with grace, approached Peter with mercy, and Jesus took the initiative. He was the one that was wronged, not the one who, who did the wronging. But yet, he took the initiative to restore the relationship. So he, he reconciles him with love, and he restores Peter with a call. He restores Peter with a call. A definition here of restoration, uh, very similar, is returning something or someone to a previous state or position. We see this demonstrated in, in human relationships when people are restored. And we also see that God uh, showing this throughout, throughout the scriptures, throughout his interaction with, with humans, with, throughout his interactions with us. Uh, he, his grace and his mercy through that, he restores fallen humanity and, and he lifts his people up to their, their place of service, which he intended from the beginning, that place of fellowship, which he intended for all of us from the beginning.
Here, Jesus not, not only restores Peter to a, to a former state, but he also elevates Peter. If we really think about it, he elevates Peter because at this point, up to this point, the disciples have been following Jesus. And with, with different uh, levels of success, it's sometimes they fall short. Sometimes they, they really uh, go out there and, and, and do what Jesus wants them to do. But he really elevates him by placing him in that leadership role, by telling him to take care of the flock and then telling him to follow me. Follow me. Really, at some level, this is the bottom line. This is what Jesus is, is really here setting Peter up to do. He, he restores him, sure. After Peter's failure, after the confusion and the questioning, the, the invitation still stood. Peter was still a disciple. Peter was still going to be, be an apostle. And that's, we have to look at that for ourselves as well, going back to that sense of doubt that we have, sometimes question our own thoughts, our own motive, our own, our own character. We have to remember that as long as we have breath, as long as we have life in us, we can choose to follow, and that invitation to follow doesn't go away. You haven't done anything in your life, no matter what it is, no matter what you think, you haven't done anything in your life from which you cannot be restored because of Jesus' love and mercy. Jesus reconciled with Peter, and then he called him to be an under-shepherd. He called Peter to a place of leadership. And then, after that intimate exchange, we get here to, to the end, and you know what? I like Peter. I really do. Peter, Peter's one of my guys. Some... Sometimes I wish Peter's name was John so that, you know, he, he'd have the same name as me. Because I really, I really feel like I identify with Peter. You know, Peter, Peter's a regular guy. He, he gives me hope. So after all that, we go to the last couple verses of the chapter, and Jesus gently rebukes, has to give Peter a gentle rebuke after all that, starting in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had been reclining at, at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. What about this guy? What about what about your boy over here, the, the beloved disciple? Now, it's funny, but if we but if we're truly fair to Peter. I think most of us have to admit, I know I have to admit, I, I would probably ask the same question. 
You know, you got you got Jesus here. He's telling Peter a little glimpse of the future, not a very good future um, from from our standards for him, because he, he just told him the way in which he was going to die. That's what the, the little the little reference there says. So it's kind of like, well, you know, Jesus, while you're at it, why are you telling me how I'm going to die? What about what about John? You know, who knows? He, he would have probably asked about all six of the other disciples that were there, um, given the chance. But Jesus, you know, Jesus kind of shut him down a little bit. But uh, but but we have to admit, you know, Jesus, while you're telling the future, I got a couple other questions while you're in a future telling mood. Um, so, again, I, I don't I don't pass too much judgment on Peter because I feel like if, if I was there, if I had been given that opportunity and by God's power, I had been in Peter's position, I would have made. Every every decision that he made as well, I hope I could only hope to have made uh, the decisions that he made. Jesus just he just refocuses him. He says, hey, what's that to you? Follow me. I just gave you this call. I just told you to to tend to this flock, to, to feed them and care for them. Just follow me. That's what we're talking about here. In truth. Peter betrayed Jesus. And Peter betrayed himself with that denial. That, that's true. We, 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 can't, we can't avoid that. Despite the fact that Jesus had already seen Christ risen at least two other times as, as recorded in this gospel, he, he had to be in a bad place when this started. He knew that what Jesus said was true. He knew that Jesus rose from the dead. He had seen the empty tomb, but he was still in a bad place. I think that's why he was so quick to jump into the water. Peter needed Jesus to to bring him into the light. And that's the message that I have for for us today. That's the message that I have for all of you today, that we are all Peter. We are all Peter. We all need Jesus. So just to take a a look back to last week, remembering the purpose of this gospel, John uh, 20 Verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We all need Jesus. We're no different than Peter. Even if our personalities are a little bit different, he was a person in need of reconciliation. That's what the Bible's about. It's about God's approach to us. It's about God putting things in place to restore us to himself, that we can believe, and by believing that we have life, that you have life in his name. We are all Peter. We need Jesus. Let's point something else out about Peter. Again, I'm not one who picks on Peter because to me, I could only hope to be anything close to to what Peter was, to what Peter means, to the things that he did. But the truth is, Peter should be in hell right now. It's like, whoa, okay. But that's the truth. And that's not my that's not my opinion. Scripture says that in black and white. Matthew chapter 10, verse 33 This is Jesus speaking. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. So that's what that's what Jesus said. Jesus said that before any of this took place. Jesus said that before the the denial took place, 
This is what was said. But Jesus had a different plan for Peter. And that's what this passage that we're reviewing today, that's what that 15 to 19, that exchange, that's what it's all about. So often uh, we get caught up in, in looking at the Bible and looking for, for these role models, these people that, that have these characteristics that, that we can model and live in our own life. But the truth is, is that the Bible is not about role models. The Bible is not about picking your favorite character and trying to, to imitate that person and try to live your life like that person. The Bible is about God and his glory. The fact that Peter should be in hell, but Jesus restored him in love. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at what God does. I didn't grow up in church, but the, the brief time, the couple decades that I have been in church, I noticed that, that, that some pastors, some small group leaders, some people, they, they want to pick on gospel Peter. You know, they got a lot of good stuff to say about Acts Peter and about the, the, the Peter that, that wrote the epistle. But they want to pick on gospel Peter as an example of what not to do. In the, in the Peter versus John saga in, in the gospel, people want to be John. They don't want to be Peter, the guy who denied Christ. They want to be the, the beloved disciple. Peter is impulsive. He's unpolished. He shows cowardice in the face of a, a, a pre-teenage girl. At, at Jesus's trial, John, the beloved disciple, the author of, of this gospel, three letters that are in the Bible and, and the revelation. John is a hero. And at times, Peter comes across as the goat. Here's the reality, though. The Bible is not about heroes. There are people in the Bible that we can consider heroes. But again, the Bible's not about them. They are just a vehicle through which reality has unfolded and the word of scripture has come down to us. It's about God reconciling unworthy people to himself. So if you feel unworthy, you're, you're in a good place. There's hope. Uh, I came, uh, came across a quote while I was studying that I, that I want to share with you. As Bible readers, we must honor the care that the Bible takes to tarnish almost every patriarch or saint within its pages. Isn't that true? If we think about it, any, anybody we can name, whether it's Moses coming down and, and breaking the tablets and then, you know, striking the rock when he was told just to speak to the rock or Abraham lying about his relationship with Sarah, David, Bathsheba, all these different things. People who who rightly, such as David, is described as a man after God's own heart. But the Bible doesn't take the time to, to wash his, his iniquities under the rug. We fail to honor the we fail, fail to honor that care when our goal in Bible study is always to find the positive character qualities in a given Bible character, write them down and add them to our spiritual to-do list. The Bible's not about people. The Bible's about God. The Bible is about that message of God being the creator, the ruler, the master, the Lord, the king of the universe and creating a people for himself that fall. And then he makes the approach to reconcile us back to him, to give glory to him, which is also for our benefit. We can't pick on Peter. Peter messed up. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. 
Peter ran to Jesus, even in his shame. After, after this wonderful conversation, Peter got nosy and said, hey, what about this guy? Peter followed Jesus in all of what I will call his imperfect Peter glory. He was brave and enlightened, yet he was also afraid and ignorant. Peter was not worthy, but he was chosen. He wasn't worthy, but he was chosen. So when we look at Peter, nothing that he did is worthy of our admiration or our condemnation. It's just what he did. It's just what happened. The focus is on the mercy and grace of Jesus. And God chooses you in all of your imperfect glory as well. And all of each of you in me and in those around us, God chooses us in all of our imperfect glory. Therefore, the one thing that we need to do, just what Peter did do, is run to Jesus. We have to realize and run to Jesus. First, don't select yourself out. This is a for those in the in the army, that's, a, that's an army term, ish. Don't select yourself out. If you go somewhere where you got to go through a selection, don't, don't quit is the message. Don't, don't give up. If there's assessors there, they'll, they'll make the assessment. And our, our assessor has showed us over and over that, that he shows mercy. As we follow, he shows mercy. Jesus is a wonderful savior. Choose life and not death. This is written so that you may believe and in believing that you would have life in Jesus, in his name. So the choice for Jesus is the choice for life. Don't let other things get in the way. Don't give up on yourself and believe that Jesus is the son of God having life in his name. That's what this gospel is about. That's what the Bible's about. All these things point to Jesus. Even after Peter, even after this, even after this, Peter went back and forth on his service. He preached and 3,000 people were saved. He was, but then he was rebuked. After that, he was rebuked by Paul for being two-faced. He ate with the Gentiles, but when the Jews came, he decided that he wasn't going to eat with the Gentiles anymore. Peter, in a vision, argued with God about unclean food. God puts a sheet of food in front of him and says, take and eat. And he's like, nothing unclean has ever entered my body. I'm not going to eat that. Seriously? Peter. He wrote, and after that, he wrote an inspired epistle that helps us to know God. We have to remember that Peter was, we, we remember Peter not because he was a great man. We remember Peter because Christ did great things through him. And again, we are all Peter in that regard, and that it's not our greatness that will ever win us anything. But as we let Christ work through us, he will do great things and allow us to be a part. God hasn't changed. Neither have we. God is still God, and we're still all in need. We've needed him from the beginning, and God stands ready to help. So from Deuteronomy chapter 4. But from there, and when it says but from there, if you read the verses before that, it's all about Israel turning their back on God. Basically, when you turn your back, not if, when you turn your back, but from there, if you will seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you search 
after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget you, the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed by oath. So that's that's God. He's been that way from the beginning, even in the Old Testament where, you know, the mean God is. He's always been a God of mercy. God is ready to reconcile and restore Israel. Jesus reconciled and restored Peter. And God stands ready to reconcile and restore you and me right now. So nothing that you've done can get in the way of that. Nothing can change. Just you know where you need to go. Paul captures this sentiment quite nicely in the book of Romans. Oh, I got the wrong verse up there. All right. Disregard that. Listen to this. (laughs) Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's nothing. Nothing will be able to do it. Nothing that you've done, nothing that you've seen, nothing of of who you think you are will be able to separate us from that love. Let us pray. God, thank you. Thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, thank you that we can't get in our own way as long as we look to you, that you've given us the light, as as John wrote, that you're the light of the world. So, Father, as as we are here today and as as we hear your word today, Lord, help us. to to realize that. Help us to live by that. Help us to share that with others, Lord, that there is hope in you because you have made a promise and that your promise is true. So, Father, as we just continue to, to seek you, as your word says, may we find you, Lord God. Look over us and help us to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.